Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 2, Apprentice. So today I'm going to talk a bit about getting started. In episode one, Beginnings, I talked about why I decided to do ONG. But how does one actually get started in the career of one's choice? And how does one get going with this daunting amount of knowledge um, that one has to learn in an almost exponentially rapid way? So all doctors have to do house jobs when they qualify and this is now called foundation training. So I had two six-month jobs, one in general medicine and one in general surgery. And during this, I needed to figure out how to get a job uh, in obstetrics and gynaecology. And I also needed to figure out how to get a job in London because at that time I was engaged and due to get married and my fiancé was actually working in London. So I needed to get a job in London and I applied to various London teaching hospitals. And it wasn't easy because um, I hadn't trained in London and people will often tell you London is a little bit of a closed book. Um, London was at that time really interested in taking trainees from their own medical schools. So I applied for some jobs in London and it was tricky because I didn't have any experience in ONG, so I needed someone to take a bit of a gamble uh, and take me on. So I was very lucky when, with no experience, um, I applied for a job, for a six-month job, at a London teaching hospital, and instead was actually offered a year's job, which at the time was unusual. Um, Normally we had to reapply for jobs every six months. So I was given a year job as a Um, to do six months gynaecology and six months obstetrics. And this was a massive breakthrough for me. There was one other uh, novice like me who had no experience, who was getting started. And the others uh, on our rotor seemed incredibly experienced in comparison. And yet they were only actually um, a year ahead of us. So I had this job, six months gynaecology, six months obstetrics. So I started with gynaecology and gynaecology was relatively straightforward. It was a little bit like a surgical house job. Um, So I had to um, uh, admit people, it's called clerking, um, when you admit a patient, um, take a history, do their examination, do their investigations and get everything ready. And mainly these were patients being admitted for elective surgery. So my main job was clerking um, and assisting then in their theatre sessions and also um, doing gynaecology clinics. 
And at this time, I wasn't dealing with much emergency gynaecology because uh, the hospital I was working in was a specialist gynae hospital and mainly dealt with elective cases. So when I started in this clinical work, I found it really strange. So during medical school, I had done uh, a holiday job at my father's work and my father was a civil servant. So when I um, went to work in my holiday job at the age of 18, um, I was asked to sign the Official Secrets Act. And this did seem quite um, rigorous, but obviously I signed it. Um, I was doing a very, very basic administrative task. I was um, photocopying. I was running errands. I was making coffee. I was doing filing. Um, but yes, I was party to official information. So a lot of people think that when you become a doctor, you take the Hippocratic Oath. But actually, that isn't true. Um, it's part of your professional behaviour, confidentiality. Um, but I didn't have to sign anything. I didn't have to make a promise or take an oath. Um, and so, particularly in gynaecology, you can be straight into discussing incredibly intimate details with strangers almost a few minutes um, or seconds after you've met them, let alone performing a very um, intimate uh, examination. So I found that a little bit odd, um, but I quickly got used to it. So I did my six months of gynaecology and that was pretty good and I felt pretty confident. And then came the time when I was switching to obstetrics. Now, lots of doctors will tell you that have done obstetrics, um, even if they've done it for a short time, as a foundation doctor for four months or as a GP trainee for perhaps six months, that obstetrics is like no other specialty. Um, you are very much in at the deep end. You very much have no idea what you're doing when you start. Um, and I remember being allocated to this poor registrar on the labour ward and I literally followed him round like a puppy. I could literally do pretty much nothing except follow him around and try and absorb as much as I possibly could. I was totally unable to do anything um, and totally useless. And I felt really sorry for this registrar because the best I could offer him was to follow him and hope that the next shift we worked together, I'd actually be able to do things. Um, and to give you an example of my lack of ability, um, we had two admission rooms on the labour ward and I was sent to assess a woman who'd come in um, with contractions and I had to decide if she was in labour. And the definition of labour is regular painful contractions and uh, progressive cervical dilatation and effacement. So that means the cervix, the neck of the womb is opening up and thinning out. Now, you may or may not know that before the cervix starts to dilate, there's a way of assessing how ready for labour it is. And this is called a bishop's score. And 
part of the bishop's score is that if the baby's head is quite low, when the cervix is not ripe and not ready, the cervix may be um, what we call posterior, so very far behind the baby's head. And this can make it difficult to feel it. So I went into this room and I took a history and then I set about doing the vaginal examination. And I couldn't find the cervix. So I concluded that this woman was either fully dilated, um, so because the, the head was pressing down, um, making the vagina feel smooth as if there was nothing there, or that she wasn't dilated at all and that the cervix was behind the baby's head and I couldn't reach it. So that was quite difficult and I left the woman in the admission room and I went round to the labour ward and I spoke to the midwife in charge of the labour ward and I said, I'm really sorry, I have no idea whether this woman is fully dilated or not in labour. So that will just give you a sense of uh, how difficult it is as a doctor getting started because you really have no idea what you're doing. So the sister went round to check and lo and behold, of course, the woman wasn't fully dilated. Um, the cervix was well behind the baby's head and the woman wasn't in labour and was sent home. So this was an example of something that I was expected to be able to do pretty much from day one. Um, that um, was my role as a doctor, um, but that actually midwives would be much more capable of doing um, and that I had much less experience than them. And I'm pleased to say over time things have changed and midwives often do a lot of the tasks now that we did as junior doctors. And that's probably more appropriate because in a lot of cases they've got a lot more experience than the most junior doctor who's only just begun. The other thing um, that this obstetric job um, brought me was my first um, learning of surgical skills. So when you start learning to operate, um, you don't usually learn a whole operation. So an operation is often broken down into individual steps. And the first thing you often learn to do is something called opening and closing the abdomen. So that is rather than doing a whole cesarean, you will learn to um, make an incision, open the skin, know where is the right place in the skin anatomically um, and then open the rectus sheath so that's the fibrous sheath over the abdominal muscles and stretch the muscles apart and open the peritoneum. The peritoneum is a little bit like cling film um, covering the internal organs and the inside of the uh, tummy wall so you'll open that and then you'll be able to see the uterus, the womb. So the first thing you learn to do is open the abdomen and then you learn to close the abdomen. So close those layers, um, close the peritoneum. We often don't do that anymore because it causes more scar tissue. Close the sheath, um, the silvery fibrous tissue over the muscles and close the skin. So you break down surgery into individual steps. When you're confident and competent to open and close the abdomen then you might learn to open the womb the uterus 
and learn to deliver the baby. And you may find it a really strange thing, but actually one of the trickiest bits of doing a cesarean um, when you're learning to operate is actually the delivery of the baby. You'd think it would be hard to make the incision, um, go down through the layers and do the stitching, but actually delivering the baby um, is often the first thing um, that, that people sort of stumble on and find difficult. And when we're operating, we always have an assistant. And so when you're learning to operate, your assistant will be a more senior colleague, perhaps a consultant or a senior registrar. And before we start operating, we will agree what bits of the operation a trainee can and can't do and what level of skill their surgical skills are at and also how we might signal if we need to take over um, and continue the surgery ourselves. So we have a very clear understanding of what people can and can't do when we're teaching people so that we keep things very safe uh, for women that we're looking after. The other thing that's a bit different in obstetric theatre from the gynae job I've done is obviously in gynae theatre, patients are asleep, they're under a general anaesthetic, they're totally unaware of what you're doing um, and uh, what you're talking about. Whereas in obstetric theatre, it starts by being slightly disconcerting that patients are awake and that you can actually uh, have your hands inside someone's abdomen and also be talking to them. And um, now I'm an obstetrician only. Almost all the people I operate on are awake, uh, and I take that in my stride. But when you start, um, that's that's quite difficult to get your head around. Um, and it's very important that you test that the anaesthetic is working correctly. Um, where I work now, the anaesthetist won't let you clean and drape and uh, be ready to operate on anyone until they're happy their spinal block or epidural is working properly. But uh, in the past, when I was training, we used to test with um, some surgical forceps. We used to pinch the skin before we started to check it was definitely um, appropriate for us to start. The other challenge when you're starting to operate is surgical knot tying. So um, surgical knot tying, um, there are specific techniques so that you can tie a knot with one hand um, and also while you're holding your surgical instruments. And this is one of the key skills that you need to learn. And the only way to really do it is practice, a lot of practice. So we used to take out-of-date sutures home and um, spend a lot of time knotting, um, surgical knotting at home, round, for example, the back of a kitchen chair or the arm of a chair when I was watching television so that you learn your surgical knots because the surgical knots are what you need to control bleeding from blood vessels um, to prevent hernias when you're closing the abdomen and um, to really make sure you're operating safely. So surgical knot tying is a key skill. The other thing I was learning at this time um, was two other uh, basic procedures. One was fontoos, that's delivery with a suction cup. And in those days, we mainly used um, a beige, soft, silastic cup that looked pretty much like a sink plunger. So you would put it on top of the baby's head, you would apply the suction, and then gradually with traction, um, help deliver the baby's head. 
Um, and we would do that for either babies that were distressed or women that were struggling um, to push their babies out, birth their babies. So I learned to do basic von twos deliveries. And the third and final um, procedure that I learned um, as an SHO was called an ERPC. So an ERPC is Evacuation of Retained Products of Conception, which is a really horrendous uh, title. And I realise that now. Now I do a lot of work thinking about language in maternity care. But essentially, this is an operation to clean out the inside of the womb when a woman has perhaps had a miscarriage or has a little bit of placental tissue left behind. Um, and this is done um, using usually suction tubing. So the cervix, the neck of the womb is already open and um, safely under general anaesthetic, you can um, just uh, gently remove any tissue that's left inside the womb. And this is one of the first operations that um, junior obstetricians and gynaecologists learn to do. And I remember clearly during my obstetric job in the middle of the night operating on my own um, that first bit of responsibility being the doctor in the emergency theatres and written in the um, operation theatre log as the surgeon and my sense of pride in that. So the reason I know about all this um, surgery is not just my memory. So at that time, part of our training was to keep a logbook. And I still have my little green logbook for the membership examination from uh, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. And this was a tiny book in which you recorded everything you did. So the book is half a page of A5 size, so it's literally a little handbook. And then it has different colour-coded um, pages. So there are some pages at the front where you can detail uh, all the details of your job. And then the orange pages are obstetrics. Um, and I've listed clinics I've done, clinical cases of interest, um, operating I've done, cesarean sections, um, instrumental births, supervised ward rounds and cases of interest. And then there's a green section that is gynaecology and also has similar operations I've done, operations I've assisted at and clinics. So I can look back at this um, and see that um, the first ever caesarean sections I did are exactly 25 years ago. So February and March 1995, I was starting my obstetric career. So that means the babies that I helped deliver um, at that time are now 25. And that is really um, pretty incredible thought, actually. And I can remember that real sense of pride in every single procedure I did, um, everything I did. Um, and, and I would go to the ward the next day and see the woman and see the baby and follow up on everything I did. And I remember also sometimes when things have been tricky going home and worrying, was that woman going to be okay overnight? Uh, had my surgery been good enough? And of course it was, because of course the people supervising wouldn't have let me do it otherwise. But that sense of personal responsibility of operating on someone 
really, really um, important at that stage. And that's not to say I've lost it now. I haven't at all. But obviously, I'm much more confident about what is and isn't okay um, and what safe surgery is than I was then when you're relying on an expert who's assisting you uh, to advise you. Um, So it was a question of counting, counting numbers, which is um, really not how we learn now. Um, But that's why I feel um, that this was really an apprenticeship. Um, We also had a really great sense of camaraderie. Um, It was very hierarchical rotor. Um, and we had um, SHOs, so senior house officers, which is what I was, um, a registrar, a senior registrar, and a consultant. And we had a very intense rota. I worked to one in four, which basically means one day on call, one day off recovering. So the on call was 24 hours, so you'd go home the next morning. Two normal days of kind of eight till six, and then the next day you'd be on call again. So it had a real rhythm to life. Um, And uh, the teams were great. We were really supported well by our senior colleagues. Um, We had um, places to properly rest and sleep. um, And senior registrar had an on-call flat. And we used to get pizza together when we were on call. And funnily enough, as a group of doctors, we would sit in our scrubs watching ER together uh, on the TV. So um, really remember some some very happy times then, um, even though um, I was working extremely hard uh, and learning an enormous amount. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a taste of the beginning of my surgical career and my start in ONG. So now it's time for the zesty bit, which is the bit Um, the sort of nugget that I want you to remember from today's episode. And today the zesty bit is about asking. So asking when you don't understand something. Only by asking for an explanation of things we don't understand can we learn. Whether that's clarifying as a woman, because what's been said to you by the medical staff or the midwife, or whether that's learning as a newly qualified midwife or a specialty trainee. We forget, those of us that have been in the career for a long time, that we use jargon, we use abbreviations, um, and there are things that we um, may not yet know or understand. So um, be honest and um, no question is too stupid. Um, Ask away, ask for the people caring for you to explain what they're trying to um, suggest you do and why um, if you're a woman under care and if you're another member of the team ask really learning is lifelong in the medical profession uh, and that is partly because we do CPD continuing professional development but it's also about learning from our patients Um, patients often expert in their own conditions And recently I had a woman come into me in my clinic and tell me she had X rare condition. And she said, have you heard of it? And the honest answer was, no, I hadn't. So I said, no, I haven't. Tell me about it. And she did. And then I said, "Okay, I don't know about this. I haven't looked after anyone with this condition before, but I know people, I know experts I can ask. 
and we can tackle this together. So don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know, even as a professional, because working together, we can find out the answers and we can explain things in a way that a woman can understand. And then um, that is safer and that is better. And that woman will receive the best possible care than if you bluff and pretend and don't be honest. So that's today's zesty bit. No question is too stupid. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OBS pod. If you have, please do leave me a review, subscribe and join me again to explore more about the day-to-day life of an NHS obstetrician. Please do share what you've enjoyed about listening and particularly if you've done anything differently as a result. I would like to confirm that although I'm talking about my experiences in my working life, there is no intention to identify any specific woman or family under my care. I take confidentiality very seriously. If you want more information about me, I can be found on Twitter at FWMaternity. And do check out the MATEX hashtag, M-A-T-E-X-P, as well as our website, matex.org.uk, for ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Thank you for listening.